You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Three Mall. Hello and welcome into another edition of Prima. I am John Kurtz, joined by Derek Young and Cole Manbeck. Um, not a fun episode today. K-State loses in Columbia 30-27. to A 61-yard field goal at the gun beats K-State. The Wildcats fall to 2-1 and on the season. It is uh, definitely a game that is going to have a lot of people drowning their sorrows. And of course, if you are doing that, make sure to get your 360 vodka or your Ben Holiday bottled at Mon Bourbon. From our friends at Holiday Distillery, by the way, shout out to them. They invited us to a nice little tailgate before the game, so we got to uh, <clears throat> get over there and get uh, get some drinks, get some food. It was a really good time. A ton of hospitality shown there, so we love them. Please go support them as well. Uh, great K-State folks there who are going to make sure that you get taken care of, whether you are a bourbon guy or gal, whether you're more 360 vodka guy or gal. Uh, either way, they've got you covered. So Holiday Distillery, 360 vodka, Ben Holiday bottled and bought bourbon. We appreciate the hospitality. Cole probably should have pocketed some for uh, after the game on the way back. Neither of us were driving, so we were just there to, uh, you know, rehash this one, everything that happened in this game. I'll, I'll be honest, I the game really played out, I think, in a lot of ways, very similarly to what we expected. Um, because, Derek, you talked a lot about, hey, I think Eli Drinkwitz has probably been sandbagging a little bit here. They put a lot into this K-State game and didn't look all that good through two weeks because of it. I think that was very clear. But K-State weathered the storm, and they came through and had a touchdown lead late in the game and on multiple occasions had a chance to push that out to a two-score lead. And I think that that is really it. K-State was one play away probably from winning that game, pushing it out to a two-score lead and winning the game. But they they couldn't get that one play you get up 24 to 17 Mizzou goes right back down gets a field goal you're not able to then score at that point even when you're trailing and you tie the game with a field goal there's a chance there to get a touchdown you have a delay of game call when it looked like Treshawn Ward was probably set up to score if the play were actually run if Will Howard gets it off a second sooner I mean it really it felt like K-State finished one play short of winning this game, and it would have been basically what we thought, a dogfight where Eli Drinkwitz put a ton into it. But instead, we're going to sit here for the next hour and probably rehash all of those little plays that could have flipped the game. Yeah, one of the things I wrote is it's like this was a game with like butts. Like the offense did enough in the first half and really kept the team in it, but they didn't have that killer instinct when they went up 24-17, 24-20. And, and, and able to hit the final dagger on Missouri. Plus, Will Howard throws another interception. There's a couple other balls that were interceptable. Um, one of his touchdowns was pretty good fortune, the first one, on a tip from Phillip Brooks. Um, a couple touchdowns were called back, I think three. So as narrow as it was, there was also times where Kansas State had good fortune and overcame some things that didn't go their way because of self-inflicted wounds. So, in a way, you could say they were one play away. On the flip side, it's like, man, there were some underlying other issues in there that are a bit concerning as well that they were able to avoid sometimes just on good fortune. The butt on the defensive side of the ball is they really clamped down, I think, towards the end of the second quarter, really throughout the third quarter and part of the fourth quarter. There was a strange seven or eight drives where they're only allowing 
about three points. So that defense really stiffened after what probably what happened was the adjustment was made to all that preparation that you saw from Eli Drinkwitz and company in the first quarter and part of the second. Um, obviously, at some point, that preparation advantage uh, runs out. Then what happens? Kansas State was the better team, but that head start by Missouri was good. Um, so that that was the butt for the defense. The special teams was really solid. You probably the best of the three phases, the most consistent. But Chris Tennant comes up short on a 54-yard field goal. Jack Bloomer, uh, I think, shanked a couple putts. So it also wasn't exceptional. I mean, it's hard to win games when you get blown out in the explosive category and you lose the turnover battle, especially road games. I go back and forth who I was more frustrated with from that game because the offense had its moments where it was very frustrating. The defense certainly had its moments. But as I think about it, guys, like we all predicted K-State to score 27 or 24 points. John, you had them 24-17. D.Y., you and I both had them winning with 27 points in a close game. And so the offense at the end of the day put up numbers against what's a top 20 defense with the second most returning production in college football a number is at about what we probably expected going in. K-State averaged 5.5 yards per play. That's the fourth highest against Missouri defense over its last 16 games, dating back to the 2022 season, uh, the beginning of that season. So at the end of the day, the offense squandered a lot of opportunities. So the way that it played out, you become very frustrated with the offense, especially when you have the ball at the 50-yard line, first and 10 with two minutes left, and you're in your four-minute offense, and you got a chance to to just end that game, win it right there, and you go backwards on three plays, four yards. You lose four yards over three plays. You have a false start. You have a drop pass. It was a tough catch for Ben Sennett down the field and uh, kind of bracketed between three defenders. Uh, but, you know, K-State just didn't make enough plays. But then you look at the defense. I mean, they gave up 30 points. Missouri didn't score 30 points against a Power 5 team all of last year. You know, that's the most points that they scored. And so, and Brady Cook averages 10.2 yards per pass. That's the most that he's had in his career um, against a Power 5 team. You give up 356 yards through the air. And it's a Missouri team coming into the game that had five plays or 20 or more yards through their first two games. They have seven plays of 20 or more yards in this game alone. The explosives killed you. You had communication issues on the back end. I get it. Like, it's the toughest team you've played so far. It's the first road game. You're breaking in several new guys. And they got a dynamic talent at wide receiver and Luther Burden, and he beat you a couple times. Now, I don't fully understand having him single man on a single a couple different times, but uh, that was a risk that K-State took. And uh, it burned on one time, although Parrish busted the one coverage as well. So, I don't know, man. I, w- what frustrates me is every time K-State scored a touchdown, Missouri answered. So, like, when you thought they were taking control, you guys remember K-State got the the first touchdown and Missouri goes down in six plays and scores some 75 yards, six plays explosives. Then the next time K-State scores a touchdown, uh, Missouri answers right back. The first two plays of Missouri's next drive after K-State goes up 14-10 were passes of 41 yards and 27 yards that took them to the K-State seven-yard line. They scored a TD on six plays. And then K-State's last touchdown drive that put the Wildcats up 24-17. First two plays out of the gate. You're thinking, all right, time for the defense, lockdown, get a stop. First two plays went for 26 yards and 42 yards through the air to get to K-State 7. Now, credit to the defense, held them to a field goal, but it's just like you, you couldn't step up and make a play on either side of the ball when it really mattered most. Yeah, I would I agree that both sides had their moments, and you can kind of waffle back and forth. 
of where you might pin the game on. It's both really at the end of the day. Um, that's the, the, the right answer. But I hearken back to, we, we've all said it in this podcast already, one play away. Well, this defense is replacing so many different pieces and the offense is not. If you need one play, this is a team equipped the way that they are equipped that it should be the offense having the ability to do that. Fair. fair. I, I guess I would also... Well, our the offensive line. Like, the, Sure. I, I would kind of counter, though, and say, what are you facing? You're facing a pretty good defense, and you're facing... I mean, look, I think Brady Cook is better than what certainly Mizzou fans have made him out to be, and Eli Drinkwitz definitely feels that way, judging by his comments after the game. But, I mean, you gave up 350 yards passing to, to Brady Cook. Like, they have, one, they have one real dude on offense. You know, I think the rest is pretty comparable, honestly, to what, what K-State's offense is. They, they've got one guy, and you let him beat you twice for huge touchdowns. I I don't know. It, it's I'm a little bit more frustrated probably with the defense in that regard, but it's, it's very close, and I don't think actually – I don't think I come out of it looking like, hey, we've got to really hone in. One side of the ball was the biggest problem. No, I think there, there are problems spread out all over the board, and – uh, coaching. I mean, frankly, I would I would throw this out there too. I mean, I think I'm going to make this statement. I think they got out coached by Eli Drinkwitz in a game in which Drinkwitz took one of the worst delay of game penalties in the history of organized football. Um, they still got out coached by him in that game, and he got bailed out obviously by Mevis with the the field goal after that. And Drinkwitz like took to his credit took the blame in in post game for that and said like, hey, that was on me. That was terrible, but. You know, I mean, they did. They were they were sloppier. They were less organized. There were, I mean, I'm going back and rewatching the game last night, and I'm like, there was like a third and nine and a third and six where you just run straight up the gut and then punt. Like, what? I mean, I don't know, man. There were some real head-scratching moments. And then, obviously, I think the one that stands out the most, because to me, the play that bothers me the most is the delay of game, because that was going to be a touchdown that puts you up Instead of just the field goal, I think that's probably the difference in the game. And somebody's got to get a freaking time out there. Or I guess if you want to say like Will Howard needs to make sure that that happens a second faster, okay, that sounded like that was DY. You can speak to this. I'm sure it sounded like that was the explanation in post game, right? Was Will just said he he thought he was going to be able to get it off and he didn't. But I mean, at some point, that's that that's coming down on somebody. So there, there were just I, I felt like too many moments where the coaching didn't shine through well enough, and I thought that's where K State would have the big advantage and and make the plays down the stretch when they needed to because K State's been a team that's been able to do that. Mizzou has not. I mean, that is where Mizzou screws it up. Like their their fans, you could just tell that stadium. Like man, this this is where we screw it up, and, and they didn't. There are some coaching blunders for sure. I just I guess with the way that K State's equipped, it's you have a secondary with four guys getting their first start against a Power 5 team when you need one play. I think this is a team built that the offense is the one that needs to make that play, the way this team is built. There were a couple of significant coaching blunders in the last minute of that game. First of all, what K-State was doing defensively and going into a prevent defense, and it was almost like they didn't know Harrison Mevis is one of the best kickers in college football. He had struggled this year early on to start the year, but he's an All-American kicker, and he's made two 56-yarders in his career. He is 11 of 15 from 50-plus yards in his career. He's got one of the best legs in college football. And K-State, I, I told you this, John, sitting by you, they crossed the 50, they're trying a field goal with him. And it was like K-State was just going to content to let them get across the 50-yard line 
And here's where I got very frustrated. All right. There, M- Mizzou is at the 39 yard line, and K State comes out in a prevent defense. Like they think Missouri is going to throw a Hail Mary. They were giving a 15 yard cushion on the receivers and giving them an easy five, six yard out route, which they could have easily ran with six seconds. Now they take the delay again, but K State lined right back up in a similar defense, and they would have gotten an easy out route if Brendan Mott doesn't knock the pass down. And then that shortens the field goal. You play boundary coverage. You let you force everything in bounce. They had no timeouts. You put your corners up close. You force the throw in bounce. The clock runs out. They can't spike the ball by rule. You have to have three seconds to spike the ball. I didn't understand that. And the thing that Chris Kleiman and this staff is probably fortunate with that is going to go a little bit unnoticed because Mevis made the field goal, you had two number eights on the field and Will Lee and Phillip Brooks on the field goal. And if that's missed, it's a five-yard penalty. The ref threw the flag. They just didn't announce it. It's a five-yard penalty, and they're kicking a 56-yard. It's completely unacceptable. That cannot happen. Last time I recall that happening was in Manhattan when TCU did it to K-State. They got flagged for it, and K-State won the game. It helped them win the game. So those things really bothered me, frankly, that that, that happened for this coaching staff, which I think is a really good staff. Like I just don't expect to see those things. I got, I've got, I've got no, no rebuttal, man. I don't, I don't think that that was very good. I was disappointed in it, and I get it. You know, I mean, listening to, we listened to climbing on the way home, and yeah, I heard a little bit of Will Howard. And I look for them, the the correct attitude to take is like, hey, let's be calm. We're gonna be okay. And and Will said everybody was pissed off. I mean, it's not like they weren't upset by the game, but it was kind of like you know, I mean, climbing after the, I just. This is one of those times where, like, I want a little bit more fire. I want a little bit more fire in Brimstone. Like, hey, dude, like, that's a game that, yes, as I said after the game, I think Missouri probably deserved to win it, but it's they deserve to win it because K-State made too many mistakes and didn't take advantage of the opportunities they had when they were there. And, like, I mean, it, it pissed me off. I mean, as a guy who had to sit in the stands and walk back to the car through a sea of drunk, trashy Mizzou fans, um, I mean, it, it made me pretty, pretty mad. So I, I understand... Big picture this season, and I'm sure we're going to get to this eventually. Like, big picture this season, this loss is not really that consequential um, unless you really thought this team was was going to the playoff. But um, everything's still out in front of them in the Big 12. But I just, uh, it's a game that I wanted. You don't get opportunities to play Mizzou very often, obviously. And it just, I, I'm, after a game like that and losing like that, I'm I'm looking for a little bit more uh, hellfire and brimstone, but we we, we didn't get it. The players, what I can tell you from my observations after the game, being in that media, excuse me, in the media area, which isn't a really good one, I'll tell you that much, very crowded and very tiny. Um, the players were visibly in pain, pissed off, like Will Howard suggested. But to your point, Chris Kleiman chose to emanate a different demeanor afterwards, one with a little bit more calmness. What I will say is, so he doesn't give a shit about what you need. He gives a shit about what his players need. So I I've know, seen, man. I I've, I've seen I've seen climate pissed off after games, after losses. I've seen him calm after losses both times. What he is doing is what he thinks his players need to in order to get better. That's all. He's in that moment. He's only doing what he thinks um, they need as a team to be better the rest of the way. And I. I don't think him, at least he didn't think that that at that point, you know, being angry, pissed off, climbing was 
the right moves. I and I get it, and he's I'm I think he's probably right because that that fits in with his whole that's his whole vibe, right? As his aura is kind of as a as a player's coach and positivity and loving up his guys and believing in his guys. So that's that's what he does. I get it. I'm just I feel like I'm in a lot of ways here to offer kind of the fan perspective on everything. And like I get it. I mean, I was I was I was hot after the. I mean, Cole. Yeah, Cole, Cole can attest to that. Um, I just. Yeah. I, I just Calming the fans down isn't going to help them win games, but maybe calming his players down does. That's the way he's. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Um, I just hope. I guess the other part, dy to that with me is like I, I, I hope, and I'm sure there is, but I hope there's a little look in the mirror at some of the coaching mistakes that did happen and be like, like I mean, you can't, you can't be doing that. You can't be doing that. And to Cole's point, like I said, I think the way this team is, where the leadership is and experiences, if you need one play, it needs to come from the offense. But to Cole's point, the defense had a bad day for the most part against a really bad offense, historically, what you would expect from Brady Cook and Missouri offensively. And the offense still put up solid numbers against a really good defense. Yeah, I guess the the question to me, another thing maybe for discussion later on here, because I know we need to get to a break, but one of the one of the questions will be to me, like, what what is Mizzou? Like, is this is this last year's Mizzou or is this Mizzou truly taking a step forward? Because if Mizzou has truly taken a step forward, then this really isn't that bad of a loss at all because they'll probably be an eight or a nine win team. They're going to be five and zero oh pretty soon here with LSU coming to town. Then after that, so that's if, if that's what Mizzou is, then this really is not that big of a deal. But that's what I was. That's what I was going to say. That they'll be five and zero oh in a couple of weeks, but it might be a little bit of a fluky five and zero. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I, I still kind of feel like it's it's probably an eight and four. It's probably an eight and four Mizzou team. If you if you had to make me guess, that's that's what I would say about it. Um, all right, I, I'm not wearing my home field right now, but I was wearing my sweet new uh, home field jacket on Saturday at the game. Unfortunately, it is uh, it is now 0-1, but it looked good. Got some compliments on it from the folks that were in the K-State section. Uh, no, it's not getting retired. It's too, it's, it's too damn sexy to retire, and that is the point. You need to go over and get yours at uh, homefieldapparel.com. It's the lavender jacket. Got the the pennant Willie logo on it. It's got Ema on the back. It's pretty great. But they've got all sorts of stuff. T shirts, all the different old school logos. If you prefer Sailor Willie, if you prefer Cocaine Willie, if you prefer Cat Script Basketball, they've got you covered at HomeFieldApparel.com. Use code Three Ma Twenty Three for fifteen percent off your first order. So we've even got the hookup. Tell them the Three Ma sent you, people. Make sure that you get geared up for the rest of the season and wear what everybody else these days is wearing. Home Field Apparel. Uh, dot com. You can also check out 100 plus other teams there if that is what you want. More on the case they lost to Missouri coming up next. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. What's good, everybody? It is Ben Heisler from Benny and the Bets here on KCSN. And if you are ready to go the distance and improve your golf game like I am in the process of doing, I want you to head on over to PXG right here in Kansas City and take the PXG Gen 6 Driver Challenge. They are confident in the Gen 6 that they're putting their money where their mouth is. If their Gen 6 Driver does not deliver more distance, more carry and roll, higher dispersion compared to your current driver when you go in for a fitting, they got you covered with a $100 MasterCard reward card. That's it. Going for a driver fitting. See if your driver is up to their driver. And if it is, you get a $100 MasterCard reward card in the process. This is an unbelievable opportunity to upgrade your game with a custom fit PXG fitting. 
I've had it at the Kansas City store with Alex. It was one of the great experiences I've had in a golf fitting period. So take the PXG Gen 6 driver all throughout the month of August and get ready to hit those fairways with confidence. So visit your local Kansas City store or head on over to pxg.com for all the terms and conditions. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at one thing that seems to be a hot-button issue after the game, at least judging from some of the fan reaction, and I didn't feel quite as strongly about this part as I, I think a lot of people did, uh, and Cole, I'm going to turn to you on this because I, you looked into the PFF numbers here, but uh, Will Howard's play, right? So he has the ball that's tipped up to Phillip Brooks for a touchdown, some fortune there, uh, throws an interception where, you know, I mean, guess they seem to be really heavy into the screen game, I guess feeling like Mizzou was going to be pretty overly aggressive. Uh, play there where he kind of, you know, under pressure, it looked like some miscommunication, ball gets picked off. There were a couple moments like that throughout the game, and it did feel like Will threw probably four passes that could have been intercepted. But he said, Cole, am I getting this right, that Pro Football Focus listed it as Will Howard's, like, best game of the last two years that he played? Yeah, I mean, you can... I think we can all attest that sometimes we question PFF and their their numbers and have a little bit of discrepancy sometimes, but I'm just telling you guys, like they graded him out with an 80.9 overall offensively. That's the best that he's had. Um, I only look back to all of his games in 2022 and then to date, so nine games. That's the best that he's had. I mean, it's better than Oklahoma State, better than TCU down in Fort Worth. It's better than the Baylor game on the road when I thought he was really sharp. They graded him out that high, and then he had an 85.3 passing grade, which is also 
uh, a career mark for Will as well. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, he, he graded out really well. I, like, I mean, Will, I'm just, I'm looking at the numbers again. Yeah. I mean, his best passing grade by PFF in the last nine games was 78.4 in the road game at TCU last year. And then he had an 85.3 against Mizzou. Look, I mean, PFF is looking at things like, you know, drops as well, the pressure that's on him in a certain situation when they make their evaluations and grades. And I mean, I can recall specifically, um, you know, Ben Sennett obviously had the major drop in the fourth quarter that would have gotten them a first down. Treshawn Ward had a play that he needed to catch that would have went for 15 yards um, through traffic and he dropped it. Ben probably, you know, ben, we think of Ben Sennett, he, he's an NFL player. He probably needs to make that catch when K-State's at the 50-yard line, the first and 10 play with two minutes left. Uh, it's a tough catch, no doubt about it, but a play he would probably tell you he needs to make. So you think about some of those and you think about what will overcame in that game like dy said earlier they had three touchdowns taken off the board and yet they still got a touchdown on every one of those those, both those times that occurred and he made some real big plays you know in the passing game they were in like a a second and goal from the 23 at one point in the game and will completed a pass to philip brooks to get him to the three to get third and goal and then they do the jump pass to ben senate so yeah will was not the you think about will he was hobbled he was playing banged up for most of the second half um, I think that impacted things as well for how K-State was calling the game. But yeah, I, I don't I don't think Will was the problem. Now, we can get into the Avery Johnson discussion and how they utilized him, but because uh, I, I do question some of the ways they were going about that, but I, I think Will was fine. Yeah, I don't think he was bad um, or anything like that, and he's probably catching too much flack if, if there's a lot of people that, that suggest that he hits. I think, he's, I think he had a solid game, calling it his best game of his career. I think it's obviously a little bit drastic in my opinion. Um, and I do take PFF with a grain of salt just because to them, Pat, Patrick Mahomes is like the 10th best quarterback in the NFL. So um, some of their quarterback assessments in general to me are pretty bizarre, especially when you can't look at his, I guess, body of work and consider his best performances because I can't remember any bad throws. And, and obviously it's a long time ago, so maybe it's just bad memory on my part. But man, he he seemed perfect, and the decisions were perfect against both Oklahoma State and Baylor last year. Like for them to not even be up there, and this one in TCU um, to be up there to me is kind of silly because I would consider his best games Oklahoma State and Baylor. Uh, I think Baylor had a he had a seventy eight point four overall grade at Baylor last year, yeah. seventy seven. So it, it was right there. It's only like yeah. two percentage points. State, I saw I saw your numbers, but the Oklahoma State one was really low. I'm like they. Scored forty eight points and he was all yeah. yeah I yeah I don't I don't know about the, the I I was surprised by that as well because I remember some absolute dimes by Will and uh, the Deuce Milan yeah yeah so I I I think you can take into question some of those but you also have to account I mean he throws for two seventy against a good Missouri defense um, three touchdowns the one interception uh, I thought he made some nice plays and he also was facing pressure again or if it's they had to throw for 272 because they couldn't run the ball yeah yeah i mean that's that's a big part of it as well and like the the third and goal k-state's down 27 24 the third and goal they just busted the the blocking and a guy came untouched right at will he didn't even have a chance and couldn't we didn't have case the case didn't even have guys in the end zone yet when will was hit on that throw so they had to settle for the field goal of course they shouldn't even have been in the third and eight third and goal because they took that delay game but yeah, there were still some issues up front with uh, with pass pro, but 
I mean, at the end of the day, you only have four tackles for loss against a Missouri team that was top 20 in TFLs last year and both this year as well. So the offensive line maybe was a little bit better from the Troy game, but I was I was hoping for a little bit even more of an inspired performance. I thought yeah. they got better. They got better at tackle. I think they they might have regressed a little on the interior for whatever reason. Well, I was just going to say I'm will to put the ball on that. Yeah, I, I I brought all that up, and I we I know there's a discrepancy on PFF grades, but I brought all that up to say, I mean, it probably suggests that like Will Will Howard was not top of the list of problems here. You know, I mean, I just saw some real overreaction on on Will after the game, and I I don't think that that's really fair. I I thought. He played well enough to win. I, to me, it's like the most the most disappointing thing to me is not not getting it. It felt like there was a sec. He could have gotten that audible off a second quicker, even moving Treshawn Ward over like a second quicker. If there was just a little bit more urgency there, and him being like the veteran cerebral guy, like I, that's a play I need Will Howard to make. I need that to not happen. But I agree. but overall, he played well enough. To I, if I was going to quibble with Will Howard, it's aside from the decision making, which I think has been a little suspect at times uh, this year, is that it seems like he's processing slower for whatever reason. Man, he's getting to some of these checkdowns late, and by the time that he gets it to him, they're covered up, and he goes for a yard. I mean, there was a few times where I thought the swing pass to the running back. Um, man, you go through your reads just a little bit quicker and see that sooner. You're going. You're not getting one yard. You're getting five or six, and you're making you're putting yourself at a much more manageable down and distance, especially when you can't run the ball. You need those. Yeah, and I I can't I don't know if it was on Treshawn because it looked like he he needed to switch sides. If he switched the sides just a second sooner and gets on the right hand side of Will like he wanted him to, then they get that playoff in time. But you know he had to move him late there and it, it doesn't get it off. And I also wanted to say, John, I think you and I were the the third and fifteen with two a minute 40 left and they threw it to Treshawn Ward like within two seconds and we were initially like was that like a screen like they got there so quick what was that play call as I rewatched the game K-State busted the blocking they rushed four K-State had six guys in to protect and they they did a stunt a twist and K-State didn't protect Will he had he didn't have anybody open yet and Will didn't have anywhere to go and I think part of the problem there was Treshawn leaked out of the backfield too early he should have stayed in and pass pro and protected he leaked out and the guy that he would have chipped uh came after will so there's just some a lot of execution errors that i'm sure they'll pick up on film that the mistakes like that end up costing you the game i will say the offensive line issues i think are more associated some uh, like like i said that i think they took a step forward as a whole especially carver willis a right tackle but when they get into trouble the most is when they see more creative pressures, and I think the absence of Christian Duffy and having new faces in there, and then you have to shuffle around. I don't think the communication and the chemistry is there for the combinations that they are tossing out because they're missing on like those stunts and stuff like that. They're just yeah. not passing them on to each other very well at all. They absolutely are. You're right, D.Y. That's that's a huge issue with the pass pro is the like, teams are just stunning on them, and they're not picking it up. and. My other quibble would be, why the hell are you rotating the offensive line after the first series of the game? You march down the field, you score a touchdown. I thought Carver Willis was actually fine on the first drive, and the second drive, they moved Cooper out to right tackle. Like, why? That's I don't believe in rotating offensive linemen and moving them all around unless it's an absolute necessity because it's hard for guys to... They rely so much on communication up front and the cohesion and gelling, and when you're constantly moving guys and it's not necessary, I, I'm not a fan of that. 
Well, another another question I would raise here is because it seems like clearly some of the issues, as you guys have pointed out, were on the interior, and that that happens when you have to move BB out to tackle. So again, this is a whole piece of like how much the injuries are really hurting right now. But like Andrew Lane game, you know what? Why are we not seeing him? Like a Taylor Potier, it sounds like was banged up, had an issue in practice this week, and was not a hundred percent out there, and perhaps struggled a little bit because of it. Like what we we heard glowing reviews about Andrew Lane gang. And I mean, I know that he had a medical issue last year. I'm not saying that it's been totally smooth sailing for him, but I, I just, you know, if we're going with the rotate thing, um, I, I would have just expected him to get a little bit more of a look there. But I, I think I would, yeah, at least like to see him get a shot because look with the, in the case of Hadley Panther, I just don't think he's a guy you need to be moving back back and forth between the two sides. I think he probably someone needs to stick to one side. That's tough to do. And he's still pretty young. And I just don't know if he's at that level to be able to make that transition. And obviously they think he is, but I, I think where the, he gets in trouble personally is when he's switching back and forth because the techniques and the footwork are all different. They just, they very badly. They need to, you got to get through this week with UCF, get to the bye week and, and hopefully get healthier. Like if they, Christian Duffy, I think, can make a, a world of difference on the offensive line and how that looks and things coming together. You know, I mean, to me, the other thing to, to talk about with the offense is just a lack of explosion. They don't have the explosive plays that they had last year, and we all think of Deuce Vaughn, and, and certainly he's a huge part of that. But it's also that they have Malik Knowles. And, and even, I mean, you know, Kate Warner made some fairly explosive plays last year, too. They just... It was very explosive last year, out of nowhere, yeah. Yeah, like they so they had they had explosion, and we remember the offense like early in the year, especially when Adrian Martinez was playing quarterback. That's all they had. It was explosives or nothing, and uh, that that's not really what the offense is this year. Again, the overall output and what they've been doing is has generally been fine, but they they really need a home run hitter, and that's where like Keegan Johnson. It just I I don't know. I was telling Cole at the game like I'm kind of I'm kind of at the point where I like if if they get that out of him if they get some explosiveness out of him great I think that'll be gravy but um we're three games in we keep hearing about like lingering injury issues and they're just you know he had one catch at great hands it was a really big play he got a big first down but we're, we're just not seeing that and uh, Mizzou has a great secondary I, I watched him just like one-on-one -on -one a couple of times when it looked like we saw like oh there's no safety help over the top so I was watching what he did it seemed like they were able to be pretty physical with him, and uh, and he wasn't creating much separation. So I don't know. I'm I'm just not going to expect. I had gone into the Mizzou game being like, okay, he's going to be there. He'll be as healthy as he's been this year. We're going to start to see some of the explosion out of him. I'm just in. You got to show it to me before I give you the benefit of the doubt on that. Whereas before, I was kind of like, benefit of the doubt, he's going to be the explosive guy. I I need to see it now before I before I get there. Well, he's super duper important because he does provide that explosive element that they certainly lacked the last two games. It felt like, and look, if you're not explosive, you got to be able to run the ball because then you got to sustain drives and have that success rate. Kansas they didn't do either, so they it seemed like in a way they were fortunate to have 27 points on the board when you're not explosive and when you're not running the ball. Um, you don't have those two things. You're you really have very little to rely upon. Andrew Martinez really helped provide the explosives last year too, especially on the ground in the first half of the season. They need Keegan Johnson. I keep, I'm being told now, like he, it's a case where he's going to be better each week. And though he had very little impact on the game, he did take, you know, I think 12 more snaps than he did against Troy. 
So just from a snap count, it does look like he made noticeable improvement. Um, we just got to see him actually, you know, directly impact the game now. I think that's probably the next step for him. And, you know, in defense of Keegan Johnson, every time they throw the ball to him, something good happens. So maybe they just need to be a little bit more insistent upon that. Well, he was only targeted one time. It, he's clear, yeah, he's clearly got great hands, but I, I just – I didn't see – I mean, I don't know if anybody else – Derek, you're watching from the press box. We're watching from the stands up top. Like, I didn't see Keegan Johnson running wide open. Right no, I mean, so. I, mean I, I don't know if I was harping on it as much. I'll let Cole go, but I'm just saying, like, at least when he is targeted, good things are happening. Now, you need to get to a place where he gets more targets, and part of that's on him, part of that's on Klein, part of that's on Will Howard. Yeah, he started one time in the game, and it went for the two-yard. It was a big catch, got him the first down. But uh, I think I was saying at one point, John, even when they were like the third and 15 late in the game, it was like, just throw it deep to Keegan and hope you get a P.I. or something. Like, maybe he can make a play. Uh, But nothing worked out there, and they they absolutely need him. And what's frustrating as a K-State fan is, like, we talked Keegan up all offseason. I did. Malik Knowles was always banged up last year was really his first fully healthy season it feels like K-State's number one wide receiver going into the year every year is always banged up at some point like he's supposed to be your most dynamic weapon and and they're not getting anything out of it right now and he's absolutely crucial to this offense uh you know Philip Brooks has been good uh Jaden Jackson's been good but Keegan Johnson brings a different level of explosiveness to this offense to pair with Ben Sennett then as well and the running game which leads me into a question Guys, you talk about the explosive plays. Now, I will say they have 18 plays at 20 yards or more so far this year. They had 64 last year, so they're they're about on pace for that. But I, it feels different, and the schedule's about to crank up, so it's going to get harder as well. Do, do they need Avery Johnson on the field more to get a few more explosives? It's possible. So I, I at least would have let them, and I know we've kind of talked about it off air, I would at least let Avery Johnson in on some of those third and shorts when he's the culprit of why they got it into third and short. Um, and it'll help you with the running game a little bit. You just, they did a good job of having the Avery Will thing work without disrupting rhythm. I will say that, and that's hard to do. So kudos to them for that. Um, my quibbles would be, man, if he gets you down there, let's see if he can get you across the finish line for a first down too. That's my only quibble. But then what do you do after that? I get it. It's, it's a tough back and forth kind of a seesaw thing. I also don't get the point of, willingly being 10 on 11 because you still have Will Howard on the field as well. So I I have an issue with that. I'd like to know the thought process behind it because maybe there is a a good reason for it. I just don't have it. So it's a head scratcher for me at the moment. But, you know, I'm not an offensive coordinator, so I would just like to see the thought process behind that at the end of the day. And another thing I wanted to point out, we're, we're sitting here, we're picking nits, picking apart this offense. It's struggling. Same time, scored 87 points the first two weeks, just scored 27 on Missouri, and more yards per play on Missouri this year than they had last year. So, you know, I'm struggling a little bit to be of the fact that we're as critical as we are right now just because it's coming off a loss, when technically from a yards per play standpoint, they were more successful on Saturday against Missouri than they were last year. Well, the Avery conversation is definitely one that needs to be had, and a lot of people are having it. Uh, A lot of people... I have seen plenty of discussion about the fact that, yeah, Will was out there, and I would be less bothered by the fact that, like, Will was out there if it weren't, by the time they were really doing it, Will was hobbled. So, like, there's less threat. Because to me, the answer would be DY, he's out there, 
when Avery's in the game because you're trying to keep them at least paying somewhat of attention to like a trick play possibility there, leaving that out there, trying to set something up. But like that, with the condition that Will was in, by the time that they were doing that late in the game, that that was not going to be a legitimate threat that wasn't happening. But I think then the problem probably is like they're giving Avery a limited package and everything that you practiced in that package involved Will Howard being out there on the field. So that that would be my guess, right, as the plausible explanation to why that was the way that it was happening. Yeah, they, they probably practiced the package like that with Will Howard on the field or, and this is another theory to toss out, Will Howard toppled, right? Do you really want him running back and forth off on and off the field? You might not. I mean, he does have to hobble, though, clear out far wide to the boundary. So it's, uh, but yeah, I, but you can casually get out there. But yeah. well, do you, do you think, I mean, Avery's a true freshman. Do you think it's also to help in the huddle, like the play call and getting everything organized and having him out there? Yeah, it could be. Like, like I said, I'd like to know the reason because these guys are dumb. I'm sure there's a good, right? There is. But, but it is frustrating and confusing a little bit that they were bringing Avery in on second and long all the time. But like uh, you would think you'd want him in on like first and 10, not second and long. And then they they take him off the field when you're like a third and two. Like I think about the play where K-State's up 24 to 20 guys, I believe. And it's the fourth quarter and they roll Will out to the left and they're on the 43 yard line. K-State's on 43. And there's one read. It's only been set. Uh, the receivers were blocking downfield. They had it draped. They draped the coverage. If you have Avery Johnson run that, like you have the threat of him running, but you don't have him on the field. And I, I just feel like they need to let him throw the ball. Like Avery Johnson wasn't brought in here just to be a running quarterback. He's a dynamic passer. So like trust him and defenses are going to be cheating on the run so much. I just kept waiting for him to, to unleash him, let him throw it. Cause I feel like it's gotta be open guys. Like they ran him so much now, like trust him. Let him make a play with his arm as well. Give him at least a run-pass option. And he sees, like, yeah, that was the thing that bothered me more than Will being out in the formations. Of there. I would have just loved something designed to at least give him a pass option to where that, even if that's just a threat, and now he's rolling out, and you've got to worry about that threat, you create, you've cleared up a little bit more space for him to run, because that's, I mean, he just needs a little bit of space, and he is your home run hitter. He is your home run there is your explosive offense. I mean, he's faster than Adrian. Like, that's going to be your your big home run threat that we were talking about from the beginning of last year. So, yeah, I would have definitely liked to have seen that. And I think, look, the coaches know it better than I do because they're watching him practice, but we hear all the time about how poised he is. And he certainly looked very poised when he was out there against Mizzou. I mean, that's your third college game, true freshman, skinny kid out there, Look, but looked like he met the moment fine. Uh, in a in a huge road game at Mizzou, so yeah, I I would have liked something, and maybe that just wasn't in the package at all. But I would have to imagine that there was at least a play or two uh, that that were in the package there that they felt like he could handle. They would have some option to throw the ball. So yeah, I even down to the goal line, the play where they because the play before the delay of game, right? Avery got shit down to like the three, yeah, and I would have liked to have just seen just rolling back out there again on the third and goal play. I would have. I would have preferred that. That, was, it's, that wasn't even the first one, but there's there was multiple times where I'm like, I think it was three or four times it felt like where you're in second and longer, second and longer than what they had on third. And, and he basically gets you into the ballpark of being able to strike on third down and then goes off the field. I just yeah. I just would have liked him to get a chance because I think they were, they were stops on a few of those third downs, had less answers. Um, Yeah, I just, yeah, I... Especially with the way they were running it, if they really wanted to keep you run game, um, I think you'd need to leave an Avery on third and short. Uh, 
I, I just think about guys like that, the third and goal at the three, down three. It, Avery gets him to the three-yard line. You leave him on the field, and they got Will on the perimeter twice for touchdowns that were called for holds. Get Avery on the perimeter there from the three-yard line. You could even call it four-down territory, but get him on the perimeter and also give him the option to like, leak a guy out there in the out of the backfield or the tight end on the backside. Give him a pass option as well. It's going to be really hard for the defense to defend Avery in that situation with his speed from three yards out with the ability to also pass. I, I just, I'd like to see him, I'd like to see him give him a shot in those situations. Again, we're, and we're belaboring the offensive point here because I think some of the stuff is just hard for us to make sense in our heads. So we're trying to talk through it. But again, at the end of the day, you scored 27 on Missouri. I think you should probably feel good about it. Give up 40. Yeah. But, but I'm just, because we're talking offense here, picking it apart for the last 15 or 20 minutes. But technically, you look at the scoreboard, and you're probably more disappointed in your defense. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to be fine on offense. We're we're talking, and all of this, by the way, is being this is me and us grading on a Big Twelve championship scale, like getting back to Arlington. We're grading on a Big Twelve championship scale here, not a hey win seven or eight game scale. And so that's that's an important distinction. And the last thing I will say to cap off this discussion is just I am I will say this in defense of the coaching staff and a positive for the coaching staff. They have been perfectly willing to recognize Avery Johnson is a special player and they need to use him. And the fact that he was out there against Mizzou like that, that he's they are even... Yeah. What's that? And he's not redshirting. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. That, that's what I'm saying. I appreciate the fact that they're there. I appreciate the fact that Avery Johnson is going to be a part of this offense and that they are going to use him and that they realize that he is somebody that can can help. I appreciate that they're doing that. Uh, let's just you know start to tweak it now and, and hopefully allow him to do more. Uh, coming up this week against UCF. Um, speaking of that, we'll start to turn the page a little bit, but uh, you know football is back. Another week of football this this week. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action, so download the app now and sign up with code KCSN. New customers can bet just $5 to get 200 instantly in bonus bets, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code KCSN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Uh, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Boy, Ontario, I'm sorry to report. I, I hate to tell you, Ontario. I just please sit down as I tell you this. It is void in Ontario. I hope you were sitting down for that. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. We're back after this. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Okay, so one concern here. Um, Well, you know, we've had plenty of concerns, but... Another concern. Uh, K-State comes out of the game a little bit beat up. Will Howard was limping around. It seems like he really downplayed the injury post-game. 
Obviously didn't feel like it was enough to take him out of the game. Daniel Green was clearly playing hurt there, was in the injury tent for quite a while. We are still wondering about Christian Duffy, John Pastore. Um, where, where are things at from an injury standpoint, T.Y.? What can you tell us? Yeah, it's good. It's tough. The, the skeptical side of me wonders how well Howard felt like the day after or even today because he was laboring pretty hard and what happens when the adrenaline wears off, right? So this week of practice, I'll be curious of what's going on with Will Howard. I wouldn't anticipate him being the starting quarterback. I haven't heard anything to suggest otherwise. So I'm just going to assume he's healthy enough to do it. How healthy can he get between now and Saturday? That's probably the debate. But I am going to go into this week assuming he's he's healthy enough to go. Christian Duffy, sounds like he can at least be limited this week. I mean, Chris Kleiman, uh, unprovoked, basically said we're getting Christian Duffy back. So we'll see what that looks like. Um, When Uso came back, he was limited. When Keegan Johnson came back, he was limited. So I I would imagine it's on a limited basis. Daniel Green, uh, I'll be curious what the update is on him throughout this week. I think there's a chance that um, he he's probably someone that you probably will be on the injury report this week. I think uh, he played through it on Saturday. I'm not sure how much longer or how much more he can play through that. I think that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. John Pastore, I think that's probably a week to week thing as well, um, just because of the nature of his injury. Uh, I think it's concussion related. I'll just say so. I think that'll be interesting how that unfolds because those are always touch and go. What about uh, Cliff then, D.Y., because he becomes more important with Daniel Green banged up? Yeah, I, I don't think you see him this week. I think that would be too soon. Oh, is he the target day, you think, after the bye? I would. I, I think uh, after the bye week is the soonest that we'll see Jay Clifton. I, I don't, I'm don't. i not saying it's a foregone conclusion he's out, but it's not a foregone conclusion that he's there probably either. I think that's probably the target date, and we'll see how much he can – he can how close he can get there. Who's after Oklahoma State? Is that Tech? Yeah, it's Oklahoma. Uh, oh, after Oklahoma State, it's yeah, it's Texas Tech. Yeah, it's October fourteenth at Tech. I was oh. going to say, I mean, if he can survive UCF, I mean, Oklahoma State just put up seven points on South Alabama on Saturday. So I mean, like, you know, hopefully the defense could survive, even if it were without those two. Uh, but yeah, Texas Tech, you, you probably start to need them. A little bit there. The the early Vegas line, I saw it as high as K-State minus eight this week against UCF. I would imagine that a, a lot of the same things that were kind of working against K-State from the Sharps' perspective this past week when they were all over Mizzou kind of tilt back in K-State's favor here where they're going to look at it and say, well, you have a quarterback injury still at UCF with John Rice Plumlee being out. you got K-State returning home with a home crowd under the lights in a game that they're going to want to get back on the right foot after losing last week. I I imagine that most of the line is geared up around those sorts of factors here. But uh, early thoughts on how you're feeling about this this matchup against Gus Malzahn and company. I saw it at six and a half. I wouldn't be surprised that it's already moved to eight because like you... Circa Circa had it at eight in the early lines on Twitter. I I saw it open at six and a half. I think on DraftKings... Um, no, I, I'm like you. I think that the people that do this for a living are going to like the spot for Kansas State because you got a pissed off football team going back home against the team that's without their quarterback. Probably got 
usually when you lose a guy, like injury-wise, that next week, it's like you, you go all in as a team. You get together and you have one of your better performances, but then reality sits in after that that you don't have the guy and you come back to earth a little bit. I think that's what we could see from UCF. I, I think their offensive output last week without John Rice Plumley is probably a little fool's gold, I would suggest. But yeah, from a spot-wise, when you look at where UCF is at the, for this game, where Kansas State is for this game, I would suggest I would I would be surprised if the Sharps would not be all over K State. Saw Bill Connolly as K State as a, a five and a half point favorite in his SP plus model. I think he projected a score of like thirty to twenty four. It's gonna be a hard game. I mean, UCF to me is a yeah. I, I think UCF is a top 25 S team now without Plumley, I don't know how much that changes. Plumley hadn't been very good the first two games. He threw four picks, two in each game. So uh, McLean is a veteran quarterback. It was interesting. Malzahn brought in two transfer quarterbacks in the offseason, even though he had John Rice Plumley as the starter. I don't know if it's because he knew he was injury prone and how much they were going to run him, but they at least have a veteran guy that started at USF, albeit didn't put up the most impressive numbers. Um, that's come in. It seems like the team has confidence in him. We'll see. They got talented wide receivers. They got talented running backs. They're going to be uh, equally as fast as Missouri. Um, there's maybe even faster. Uh, that They're a better team than Missouri. I'll just say that. So, um, yeah, it'll be a test. Uh, but you just got to win it. You got to figure out a way to win it, and you got to get to that bye week. They desperately need the bye um, to get healthy. I'm not convinced that they're a better team than Missouri just because they don't have the same kind of defense or the same kind of depth. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. I think Mizzou might be a little better, or at least they're pretty comparable. Yeah, and uh, and and in in ter- caliber, not Especially, necessarily yeah, no plumbly. Like that's hard to. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah, I, I was. I just don't know much about this. The backup QB. That's that's a really tough one. With with John Rice Plumley, I thought UCF was kind of like a. 25 to, 25 to 30 sort of team in the country. Um, so it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard one to figure out. But Cole, I mean, Cole's right. It is going to be a tough game. I mean, it yeah. will be a tough game. This is not a game that anybody should be overlooking. I don't think anybody is uh, coming well, off loss last week, but it, this will be a difficult game. It's their big 12. It's their first big 12 game. It's the inaugural yeah. game for them. They're going to be fired up to try and prove a point. Gus Malzahn knows what he's doing. He's been to Manhattan before as well. So, They'll have a game plan. They'll figure it out. The the blessing in disguise for them. It also probably helps K-State as they were able to get a game under their belt against a team like Villanova with McLean and a quarterback so they could work some of the kinks out. But also K-State got film now on what that offense looks like with McLean at quarterback and how that maybe changes things. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Defense going to have to be ready to go. I mean, I, I didn't even mention it, guys, but just shifting gears real quick back to the Missouri game on the defensive side of the football, yeah, I did want to highlight Obviously, Burden got his 117 yards or whatever it was on six or seven catches. But what really was a buzzkill is Theo Weiss, Mookie Cooper, and uh, Marquise Johnson. They came into that game with five catches for 27 yards on the season through two games. They had 11 catches for 193 yards against K State. The explosives weren't exclusive to one person. It's just they just a lot of botched communication, a lot of big players. That's what what that was. I will say. If you want a optimistic point of view, is you you got you got to play an offense with a running quarterback right before you play UCF, who does a lot of the same things just from a general style standpoint. Those offenses are kind of composed very similarly. I, I should also say, I mean, well, I talk about Theo Weiss and Mookie Cooper that way. 
I went back to the recruiting profiles of those guys. I mean, Luther Burden was the number one ranked wide receiver. Mookie Cooper was a five-star, and a lot of boards went to Ohio State, transferred to Mizzou, and Theo Weiss was a five-star. You could argue they had three five-star receivers out there, albeit the production hadn't been there uh, to date. But, you know, 27 yards through two games, and then they have 193, those three against K-State, and 17 and a half yards per catch. That, man, that was tough. It's a combination of, uh, I think, four guys getting their first start against Power 5 team in the secondary. So uh, I think Chris Kleiman mentioned he thought they panicked a little too much, and that's a sign of inexperience. So I thought that was that. And going back to it, I think Drinkwitz and these guys were probably putting together a scheme and a game plan for about six months on what to do and how to get those guys to fall. Agreed across the board there. I think we will see the secondary get better and communication was was not good. To, to play devil's advocate a little bit on the running quarterback thing, I will just say Brady Cook, that was like late second quarter, right, that he got banged up, and then they kind of had to just abandon the quarterback. He was oh, not nearly yeah. as mobile at that point, and, and that's when they the offense came back down to earth. So they didn't. I mean, who knows how much Mizzou scores if Brady Cook stays healthy? And I get on the other side, who knows how much K State scores if Will Howard stays healthy? So absolutely. both teams are dealing with it. Yeah, absolutely. And my argument was getting to prepare for like something like that sure. ahead sure. of time. It's nice. Well, I will say though, I mean, K State uh, Brady Cook wasn't dicing him up with the running game. The threat of him running though certainly helped their offense. And but I mean. Outside of the 36-yard run by Cody Schrader, the running back that he busted in the fourth quarter, Missouri's longest run for the game was seven yards. So K-State once again did a stellar job defending the run. They just got to shore up some of the communication errors of the passing game. Can't give up 356 to Brady Cook. Yeah. Um, what one? I thought, Cole, you made a very astute point, this being the Big 12 opener for UCF. That is a team, athletic department, and fan base that – is very confident, very brash, and very much wants to make a statement. So motivation will not be in short supply for them. I'm sure they've had this game circled for a long time. Yeah, No play. And K-State fans need to bring the energy. I mean, it's easy to feel down in the dumps after a game like the Missouri game, but this is a huge game. Like, you can't just look at, like, UCF as a group of five school anymore. Like, you got to come in fired up, 7 o'clock kick, and you got to, you know, help lift these guys because – Everything you wanted is still on the table as you started off the show with, John. I mean, Big 12 championship, I think part of what helped me cope a little bit with Saturday is just going through the two-lane experience last year. Like, you can lose a game like that. You can look bad early in the year. And this team and the coaching staff has shown they can bounce back and recover from that. And that's that's what I hope to be the case uh, with this team as well. And there's a good avenue there with your schedule because you get a bye after that, get some guys healthy. And not that it's going to be simple. It won't be. There, but you get Oklahoma State, who looks very gettable. Yeah, and I, I guess, I don't know. I certainly do not. I, I have not this whole time viewed UCF like just some group of five school. I mean, I don't. Well, I, I, I haven't either. Some adjustment, I think, from the general crowd. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't either. I mean, I think I think I said after the TCU Colorado lost to Colorado that UCF might be their toughest a whole opponent in Manhattan. So I, I have a lot of respect for UCF, Gus Malzahn, and what they're bringing in Manhattan. I just hope. I hope the fan base in general does, because I will say, I think part of the meltdown, this didn't lead to K-State losing the game, but I think part of the meltdown from the fan base after the Missouri game is, I think there was maybe a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say arrogance, just the expectations for K-State winning that game handily were probably far too high. And I get it. Eli Drinkowitz is kind of a buffoon and everybody makes fun of him and, and they should, it's deservedly so. 
but we talked about it before the game. We expected that to be a close game. And now Missouri, over its last seven home games against Power 5 schools, all seven have been decided by a combined 20 points. I mean, every game is close there. So expected it to be close. And I just feel like a lot of the, I, I ran into a lot of people who are like, okay, stay by two or three touchdowns. And I'm just like, that's not happening, guys. Like, they're going to come in inspired and they've got some talent. So I think that led to part of the, the fan reaction as well that didn't help. Thanks. The 40 to 12 win last year was a little deceiving. And I don't think everyone realized that. Yeah, well, I mean, clearly, like, if you listen to this show, we all did. But some of it, too, Cole, I would just say, I mean, it's, again, back to, I guess we'll just end the way we started. It's the fact that it's a regional rival. You don't get this opportunity to play them very often, so you just you want it really badly because if you go in and you sweep that series win in their place and beat them 40-12, to 12, like, you're really punking them in, in the only opportunity to play them for who knows how long. So it was just... That, that's what's and that's this is a realignment conversation because it's the shit that realignment robs you of you don't you don't get to go do that every year and then obviously in this 2023 world where everybody's very online and very confident and yelling at each other back and forth you know there are a lot of digital checks that have been written too so it's just that's why that's why well, you get such a meltdown about it those are your digital uh checks oh i am far <laughs> from the only one but yes and certainly i had some I will say that the manner in which it happened to having it done by an SEC record long field goal that probably played into it. Yeah. But I mean, hey, one final thought here, guys. Mizzou, Mizzou freaking rushed the field beating you. I mean, what's <laughs> the statement of where the program's at? Mizzou, Mizzou rushed the field and Brandon Kiley, who's a, a well-respected St. Louis media member, called it Mizzou's biggest win in a decade. Well, so, I mean, that's... That's I, where your program's at. You were Mizzou's biggest win in a decade, and they rushed the freaking field for beating you. So I, Most Missouri media that I heard after the game in the press box shared that same sentiment, though. So I, I think it's almost consensus. Well, it, I mean, what's the art? Like, post-2014 post SEC championship game, Yeah, what have they... I mean, they haven't done anything. They haven't sniffed relevancy since then, so it's yeah. correct. But I do think... Yeah, I, I do think they have a great shot of winning seven games for the first time in Eli Drinkwitz's career this year, so they could strive for seven. It'd be like the strive for nine for Matt Campbell, which will happen again. They'll, they'll be a, a fortunate bounce. We'll see which way the ball bounces, but a fortunate bounce for maybe eight. I mean, this is a team to beat Arkansas and South Carolina last year. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they're probably eight and four. I think that's yeah. probably eight and four. Eight. Yeah, I, I think they're going to lose to Memphis on Saturday, guys. Very good. So, no, no, they're right. I, I'm serious. I'm serious. It is possible. They just presented the team with the Super Bowl trophy on Saturday. They brought the Super Bowl trophy. They created. Yeah. Yeah. Everything that I said about last week being the Super Bowl, it played out exactly like that. They rushed the field. Look how much that game meant to them, what they had been building up to. This is the classic letdown spot, and Memphis is not trash. Again, I will go back to realignment discussion. Mizzou cared more because it was a regional rival here. They would. Okay, State lost they, the Tulane in the same spot last year. They miss, they miss, they miss the old Big 12. They miss the old Big 12, Mizzou. Great, great to remember uh, what it's like to go to Columbia, Missouri. What a, what an experience. <laughs> what an experience. I feel a little bit better. I was feeling pretty bad the last couple of days after that loss, but this was almost a little therapeutic. Well, I would agree with that. I probably needed a little cold, cold. Did I need a little bit of therapy at about uh, 3 o'clock on Saturday? <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I think I, I think he probably did. Um, it was a uh, it was also an interesting mile walk, walk back to the car with uh, you mean. I mean, so here's a, here's the thing on that. I guess since we're just we're going down this road, what the hell? Um, it, 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 Derek, this to me, so right, like I used to go to road games when I was growing up. Like my dad and I would typically go to maybe like one a year and. So there are a couple things with that. One, K-State was in the midst of winning 11 games basically every year. That stretched six six times in seven years. They won 11 games. So, like, they, you didn't lose uh, even on the road when we were going to some of those games. So I, I hadn't experienced that a ton. I got a little taste of it. I'm, I was in Lawrence in 2004, nightmare, when you lose the streak. I was in Lawrence in 2006, nightmare right after ron prince beat texas and you're riding high and you lose that game you stop going to games man well well i went to plenty of wins but i'm giving you the losses like i experienced two really bad losses where i remember gut-wrenching walks to the car and being yelled at and cursed at and whatever um don't let him tell you it's highbrow and lawrence because there was plenty of it uh but then i i go to college and i'm I went to Nebraska in 2007. I don't remember there being a ton there. I think both fan bases were pretty down on their their teams at that point. But I hadn't been to like a road game outside of 21 Kansas. I went in 2021 to Kansas as a fan. But there's 10 years in there where I'm just working. So I'm I'm not showing up as a fan. I'm not in K-State gear. I'm not in the stands. You don't take crap from anybody. You're just your media guy. I go to the 21 Kansas game where you you knew what was going to happen there. That was going to be a win. There was really no stress involved with that. This was like my first real true, like hostile road game in, I, I mean, I would probably take it back to, I guess, like 2007 Nebraska. Like, so it had been a long time since your boy had, had experienced that. So, well, you know, it's a part of the deal. It was just like, oh God, I forgot about what this part actually feels like. So yeah, that, that sucked. And I will, I I will just say, John, that uh, TCU 2022 prepared me for any battle to march into, and that's why I was, I was so calm. Call up that experience last year in Fort Worth. You want a, a touch of irony though, and and I'm not trying to throw any jabs here, but the whole cheering in the press box thing at Kansas State last year that you know certain people were embarrassed or disappointed by. I had Missouri media to my left in the corner of. A press box, and they were literally cheering when the field goal went through. So just a touch of irony there, because Mizzou would never do that. Couldn't be, D.Y., the the best journalism school in the country. We're Mizzou, man. We got the elite journalists. Surely there was no cheering in that press box. You know, those elitists out there. So I'm sure we'll get a great column on Power Mizzou about it. I'm sure we will. I look forward to reading that this week. Uh, all right. Guess we'll wrap it up with that. Um, take care, everybody. We appreciate you. Uh, hopefully, you're making it through too. Make sure and get your 360 vodka and your Ben Holiday bottled and bond bourbon. And uh, we will we will talk to you all soon. Thanks to Nick Springer behind the scenes for Derek Young and Cole Manbeck. I am John Kurtz. Thanks for listening to Three Ma. Take care, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. 
KC Sports Network.